Hello everybody and welcome to uh, February's belated edition of The Grap Up uh, here at Link to the Cast. I'm your usual host here talking about the wacky world of professional wrestling, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined on the line by my grapple brother in arms, Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you this fine Saturday afternoon? I am doing pretty well. Um, I have been over the last couple of days building my first PC, which has been a daunting task in some ways, um, but I actually got the thing working uh, properly last night but i've been defeated merely by the fact that i don't have an eight gig flash drive uh, anywhere so um i was here all excited this morning to get windows booted up but then realized i just uh, all the flash drive the usb sticks we have are all under eight gigs and the one that i do have um, which i think is like 250 gigs it's a relatively uh older um hard external hard drive and it just my pc will just not detect it at all so my plan yeah. was to be recording my first podcast from the new pc but i'll have to wait for the next one it's uh yeah do you have you reached a point of frustration yet where you kind of wish you'd never moved beyond the old vtech computers when you were like no. six or seven <laughs> teach how to spell no no i'm not quite there yet it's you know when it comes to pcs and particularly with like windows and god knows what linux would be like but you take these hurdles one step at a time and honestly like getting the pc up and running last night and seeing everything was in there and working correctly you feel like a bit of a genius and i am a known idiot so um the the levels of genius like tendencies that i felt uh were strong so yeah. yeah now i just need to just get you know the actual kind of software part of it which is probably even worse than the hard the the hardware um part of building a pc together yeah ah oh, but look you know it'll be it'll be an adventure one way or the other certainly uh, but hey we're we're here to talk about professional wrestling and i suppose like straight up mark off the bat the biggest thing we've done even though it technically wasn't in february uh, it was in March, was you made your first and I made my third trip, uh, probably my my sixth trip overall to the venue, for WXW 16 Carrot Gold 2020. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I would I would say uh, for our American friends that uh, 16 Carrot Mark, would it be fair to say it's probably the European equivalent to Bola? Yeah, I think you have that and you have super strong style as like the big two European tournaments. So obviously, 16 Carat's been going for a lot longer. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that uh, it's a fair equivalent to, to Bola at this point. Yeah, so it's a fairly prestigious tournament. 16 entrance, single elimination knockout tournament. Happens over three days. Uh, has has in- it always followed that format, by the way? Because Bola's changed it up over the years. I couldn't say for certain. I know uh, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020 for sure has followed that formula. In terms of digging back into the WXW Now archives, I tend to I, I tend to just dip in and out of individual matches from previous tournaments. So I couldn't be sure if the tournament format has always remained the same. But in the time I have been actively going to these tournaments, Tag League has changed uh, as and from last year, possibly due to the fact that there was a WWE-affiliated team involved. They went to, and a lot of cancellations happened at Tag League last year, so they ended up with a uh, a three-way tag final there, But um, which was reminiscent of the way Bola does it now with a three-way final. But yeah, so uh, nestled in amongst this tournament as well. So there's those three days... And then there are various events happening over the weekend as well. There's like Wrestling Cult, who are another promotion in Germany, have a, an off-site event on the, I want to say the Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon. Um, WXW themselves run a couple of events. So they run a, a We Love Wrestling event, which is various 
like various different wrestlers from around Germany coming in um, and wrestling on that show and they do like a um, oh they do some sort of other WXW taping uh, over that weekend it used to be the tapings for their TV show Shotgun but I can't remember what it's called now because Shotgun doesn't exist now and then of course the, the prize the, the, the real grapple fans event of the weekend is the ambition uh, shoot style tournament which would be kind of for people who aren't aware of the ambition style think of it something like um, if you're a UK wrestling fan it'd be like that Tetsujin promotion that was around for a couple of years that finished up last year uh, or for real old school people battle arts <laughs> and battle arts will be something that will come up over the course of this show uh, as we had a couple of battle arts alumni involved over the weekend. But I suppose to kick things off, Mark, this was your first experience of WXW in general, let alone 16 karat gold, uh, your first trip to Oberhausen. First thing, uh, overall impressions of the weekend. How did you enjoy it or not, as the case may be? No, I, I had a really, really good weekend uh, overall. Uh, it was my first time in Germany. And I wouldn't say that Oberhausen is, you know, you can't exactly give a full reflection of a country based on one one specific area. But Oberhausen itself was very nice, very, very quiet. I think you said it's, it's like an industrial town. Yeah. So like a lot of it seems to be because it's in the it's in the Rhineland and a lot of people there pretty much they're they're gone to work throughout the day and they kind of stay in most of the week. And Saturday would be the big day where everybody comes out to the area called Centro, which is where we all hang out because there's a lot of restaurants and one of Europe's biggest shopping centers. And yeah, it, it is, I have found it very almost eerily quiet over the years. Um, Like there have been nights, my, myself and uh, my Days of Thunder co-host Lee Malone used to stay in an Airbnb that was about a half hour walk from the venue. And even if we'd finished at like eight or nine o'clock at night and we'd be walking back to the Airbnb, we'd still be unlikely to come across a single person. Uh, we'd come across maybe one or two cars. Like it is very, very quiet around there for some somewhere with so many facilities and stuff to do. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird though, because like the way that you have this massive central area, which you think would um, like during the way and, and given kind of recent events i'm not too surprised but like during the period we were there it was relatively quiet and i know you said it's past years it would be a lot busier but you have you know a whole parade of restaurants on one side overlooking the river mm. which was very very lovely there was uh there was a sea life there's the legoland i went to the the aquarium on the uh sunday i saw some otters they're very good boys i yeah just just overall like it is a very nice town very just very clean very simple uh, and everyone that I ran into, uh, you know, all the locals were very, very pleasant, very easy to talk to. Uh, I, I think, I can't remember if we've mentioned it before, but I know we've discussed it before, but you pretty much go anywhere in Europe at this point, And you think that you may struggle with trying to communicate or, you know, just find a way to get through the day. And just everyone speaks English. And mm. that's unfortunate in a number of ways for the English because we, you know, heavily rely on that. Uh, and I'll be the first to admit that. But, you know, it does make life a lot easier. Except, ironically... The one time that I struggled, um, I got uh, just like a, a, a hash brown, like a breakfast thing from McDonald's one of the mornings. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm just going to go here because I can order it. And then, you know, I don't have to worry about any kind of interaction. Forgetting that, or not realizing that for whatever reason, the, the number system they had was all screwed up. And so there was a girl who was screaming out the numbers in German. And I'm good from one to ten, but past that, my German in counting is a bit limited. So 
she was screaming this number for about two minutes and I was looking and I think it was like 267. I was like, okay, well, I think that might be mine. And I've gone up to her sheepishly with my little receipt and she just looked at me like nine, blah, 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 whatever. So, oh, okay, okay. And I've sit, stood there for another two minutes and she's still screaming this number out and I'm still convinced that it's my number. Uh, but fortunately, I saw from over the counter that I like am the one person in the world that orders uh, apple juice from a McDonald's, apparently. And I saw yeah. there's a bag there, and I was like, okay, that has to be mine. And so I've gone over to it, and the the one behind the counter was like, I'm Minuten. I was like, okay, I understand that. Awesome. I speak German. Uh, but she gave it to me because there was like a cinnamon roll or something that was still being baked. Um, but yeah, that was the one time I struggled, was the one time I wasn't expecting to struggle. Yeah, it's funny. The The one time I struggled was the only time I went to McDonald's as well uh, in Centro on the last day. And uh, literally, <clears throat> they normally have the things with the, oh, this number is ready. And the screen died like when I was top of the queue. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I have no idea what, what this number is in German. <laughs> but like, yeah, kind of uh, for the most part, you don't really notice the language barrier too much. Everybody is pretty good. And um, we kind of like only move within the same certain amount of areas. I was fairly impressed with the lack. Normally, nor normally it's been kind of a, a whole weekend of either McDonald's or a place we brought you to a couple of times, uh, the 360 Sports Bar that get relied on quite heavily because it's kind of both McDonald's and 360 are these kind of places that when you have a large group of people and people who may be picky or have certain dietary requirements, both of those are kind of like everybody can find something sort of places. So uh, I was happy that you were able to come over to a time where we actually went to a couple of other places. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly in terms of my uh, my diet at the moment, you know, I, I was certainly hampering myself. Germany, I don't think is the best place if you're trying to not eat meat and not eat dairy. Uh, which have been my two recent developments. So, um, like, the first night, I think I, I struggled a little bit or the first day because I know I got some, uh, it was some, like, mozzarella wrap or whatever uh, that I struggled with for a bit. But otherwise, like, you know, there were there were some vegetarian options and it wasn't as expensive. Like, I, going to Germany has made me realise that Dublin, for, like, if you're a vegetarian, like, Dublin is incredible. There are so many options. Yeah. Now, I, I, I will say as well, like, we were kind of, <clears throat> the areas we were going to eat in were kind of, like, the center of commerce. Like, they were all chains and yes, stuff like that. of course. So, like, if we knew better places in the, you know, if we knew kind of the same places Germans would know in the area, you'd probably have been more Yeah, and again, luck. I don't think I can make a fair reflection on overhousing compared to, you know, any other part of, of Germany. But yeah. from the initial impression, that was, that, that was my one... Sometimes there was there was a few occasions where my options were limited, but yeah. I mean you're only away for three to four days, so you can get yeah. by on um, drinking more than anything. Yeah, I my, guess. my one regret was not being able to go to the Japanese place that we kept walking past. Yes, um, yes. just because the one day we were going to, uh, we had a couple of mates who kind of it wouldn't have been their kind of thing, and you never want to be like, no, I want to go to this place. Yeah. You know, it's, we, it's I, more I think we were both we were both hankering for that katsu, weren't we? Oh, goddamn right. I had a lovely katsu during the week before I left, so it was on my mind. <laughs> but yeah, um, I suppose the one last thing we need to name check before we get into the actual wrestling, Mark, is that... Uh, so I've been going since 2017 to these things. I, I've gone to uh, three tag league slash tag festivals and now three 16-carat uh, gold tournaments. And officially, after this trip... Uh, the 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 UK and Irish traveling fans now have an official beverage of WXW weekend trips 
as determined by our hive mind over the weekend, <laughs> the delightful uh, Louisiana Mule. Yeah, um, it's a good time. Which I, I was at you to try this drink, and I did not oversell it, did I? No, I mean, let's be honest. When it comes to um, convincing me to have an alcoholic beverage, I think you know me pretty well on my do's and don'ts. Um, so... As soon as I saw it, and as soon as you sold it to me, I was like, "Yeah, I mean, this isn't this isn't going to be a difficult thing to to enjoy." So um, the Louisiana Mule is a mix of a nice bit of ice. Then you've got your bourbon, you've got your lime juice slash lime aid, ginger, a little bit of sugar, and then fresh slices of lime jammed in there as well. Uh, into a little tankard and who boy it started off with me just ordering one at lunch on the first day chipped away at you you had one the following day by the end of the weekend mark i think like half the people we were with were ordering louisiana mules um and i'm very proud to have gotten that one going uh i had tried one i think it was when i was at tag festival it was like our last meal when we were there i was so because this is the other thing i I looked out this time. I usually book Airbnbs that are a fair bit of a walk away. But because the usual ones were taken, I ended up uh, getting a different one. And it turned out that was like five minutes from a tram that was two stops away from where you were staying. So I was less tired than I ever had been at this one. But previously, I had been so tired that I just needed some alcohol to numb the pain in my legs. And that's when I discovered it. But uh, yeah, I, I tell Louisiana you what, I, I think uh, I made the right choice because I know I was talking to you around about the start of the year that I was going to come to 16 Carat. And I, you gave me like, it was the trip, the NH. The NH and the Holiday Inn. Yeah. And, no, you know, me in my typical fashion was like, nah, fuck that. I'll find something else that was like way cheaper. <laughs> yeah. With, no, why, why would I take the advice of a man who's been going there semi-regularly for three years? Yeah. With the original provision as well that I was going to get Jack to come with me and we were going to split the cost so yeah i was looking at hotels that were going to be like 50 60 quid per head um but then jack just you know couldn't come um and i was looking at the distance it was going to be between the venue and where i was staying and where all the kind of local stuff like centro was and i was like you know what this just isn't going to work for me so i spent i think it was like 250 maybe a little bit more and i got the trip and in, in the grand scheme of things because you know what I'm like in that I get tired very quickly and when I get tired I just don't want to move I don't want to talk I don't want to be around people um, and I'm not shall we say you know, like I get to a point in my evening and I'm like okay I'm good I want to go to bed um, you know so unlike certain people that we were with over this trip who they party hard they live hard they party hard and god bless them <laughs> but I am not I believe like there were reports of uh, young Zig and Barry friends of the show uh, awake until I think it was half seven in the morning in the trip bar on the, the Saturday night, Sunday morning. Yeah, that's that's enough to kill me and I can't do that. So I'm glad I got the trip and just paid the extra bit and had the comfort. So that'll probably be my go-to if I go again. Yeah, uh, for sure. But yeah, a good weekend. And uh, in spite of our, our little Lonely Planet guide there, there actually was some wrestling happening this weekend. And uh, I suppose, Mark, uh, do you have the events there in front of you as well? I do, um, yep. Okay, so I suppose the way we should do this, we'll go to the four events that we went to, that being day one, day two, day three, and ambition there in between day one and two. And what we'll do is uh, we'll take a look at the list and rather than go through match by match, because there's some of them that I, I really have no thoughts or feelings on whatsoever in a very Landstorm style, um, I think maybe we'll just uh, pick out ones that we, that we uh, kind of ourselves uh, enjoyed. Um and I'm just going to go 
straight away there's something I want to talk about and that was the the alternate four-way dance before it started it wasn't a fantastic match but there are two or three men here worthy of uh, talking about uh, the first being uh, Ireland's Scotty Davis the 18 year old uh, amateur wrestling prodigy who is coming on leaps and bounds uh, every time I see him um Scotty wasn't in like any title matches or in the tournament this weekend but uh, one thing I noted Mark and I, I'm sure you did as well with a keen eye is that Scotty was put in a lot of positions here this weekend where he was in matches where he could shine yeah I think that's a, a fair assessment uh, I think that any promotion that gets his their hands on him at the moment whether it be and the most prominent places I have seen him would be OTT progress where he's one half of the tag champs and here in WXW and they all definitely realize that he is an exceptional talent given his age and uh, I guess it's one of those things as well that they're all trying to make the most out of him before you know the big fed may potentially come and try and snap him up though you know what his ambitions are um, remain to be seen but yeah, he seems to have one Bill Ostrich in his ear anyway, uh, trying to get him to come to Japan. So yeah. hopefully we can have him on the scene a little while longer before the inevitable. Yeah, but uh, he yeah, definitely over the weekend, he, he definitely made an impression, uh, as he is mm. one to do, shall we say. Mm. Uh, and the other man in this that may have been a slight su- surprise for you to catch live after all these years was uh, the former Ryan Taylor, now known as Rust Taylor. In spite of being around Donkey's ears, rocking that Matt Riddle physique and still looking really, really good in the ring. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I, my, my kind of like peak point of PWG would be that kind of twenty ten to, I'd say up until around about the time Kevin Steen and Joe Nerico and that lot left. Still watching it afterwards, but and and during that period, you that we had a fair amount of, of Ryan Taylor as one of those kind of so SoCal um, talents. And he was always fine, but not anyone that was in any way kind of exceptional. Like, I enjoyed him as part of the yeah. fight in Taylor Boys. But he turns up here, and, like, first of all, I see the name come up on the screen, Russ Taylor. And I was like, Russ Taylor? I don't know Russ Taylor. And I see him come towards the ring, and I'm like, first of all, well, he's jacked, and as mentioned, the the Matt Riddle-type physique. And then I look at his kind of facial frame, and I was like... I. I recognize him. I, I do recognize him. And I'm like, is, is that Ryan Taylor? And then I was like, I've not thought of Ryan Taylor in years. And here he is. And he's only 33, which is the bit that just astounded me. But yeah, he was here. And I mean, I think we can probably talk about him more in other parts of the weekend. Yeah. But he, yeah, he, he also had a very kind of like a showcase weekend to maybe get his name out there more. Because I have no idea what he's been doing over the last couple of years. Yeah, <clears throat> there's kind of something we talked about over that weekend. It's like that SoCal scene is like a, a whole universe in and of itself. There are people who, if you look at their cage match or you, you keep an eye on their social media, and they seem to be wrestling like quite regularly, just not outside SoCal. And no word seems to ever come out of any of those events. Like it's really a self-contained. It reminds me very much of like when we would have been kind of when the independent scene was was first booming in our generation in the early to mid 2000s. And people would say that of the Pacific Northwest scene. And, and to some extent, it is still like that, like the, uh, promotions like 321 Battle and like that are still feel like self-contained universes where very few people have broken out. I thought you was going to mention Irish whip wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Hiding away in warehouses across Dublin. But yeah, only a couple of people breaking out of that uh, kind of Pacific Northwest scene recently. Another man who was in this tournament, Daniel Maccabe, being one. But our tournament started then proper. And 
a hell of a way to kick things off. Uh, the first match that made my sheet this weekend, uh, Speedball Mike Bailey and Chris Ridgway. Now, I'm a Chris Ridgway guy. I really like that kind of like intense uh, strike heavy and submission style that he employs. And uh, it, uh, there's no better guy to have a like a, a, a styles clash in a good way than the strike heavy as well, but also high flying uh, Speedball who had a magnificent tournament. This is a really hard-hitting, fast-paced way to kick off the weekend, I thought. See, I don't want to do the Chris Ridgeway rant now, but I might as well, because we're here. But I just... While I agree with you in terms of I love that very submission or strike-heavy type, very physical um, type of of performance and grappler, a wrestler, uh, Chris Ridgeway is like... He's just the... There is a, a lack of charisma that is there that you like. Okay, I mean the the obvious comparison that you might make with him is someone like a Davy Richards. Yeah, and yes, Davy Richards by no means was uh, you know the peak of charisma, but there was a physical presence there that that man always had that I just don't yet find with Ridgeway. And it, I'm sure with more tours in Japan, and sure with more seasoning, yeah. it will come. But it isn't just. Yeah, he's only in his early yet. to mid twenties as well, and I like I I like him quite a bit. But I would say yeah. For people who like aren't super super into his style as well, I think the one thing he's missing that say a Tim Thatcher has is that kind of expressiveness and the bodily charisma. Even like when we talk about charisma, we're not necessarily meaning like he needs to get on the stick and cut a hell of a promo or you know have this swagger about him necessarily. But even like Tim Thatcher has an incredible physical charisma about him where you know you wouldn't see him on the microphone but he the way his body tells a story in a match gets you involved and the way he makes facial expressions you can see from the back row in the building and he he gets you in yeah uh, whereas the thing with thatcher as well is he's genuinely ter- terrifying yeah. you know he's a very nice man but genuinely like you see him in the ring and he's fucking terrifying. Yeah, whereas i would agree that chris ridgeway so like it's all about the craft and and the mechanism of what he's doing which is fantastic but i would agree that if he's ever going to kick on and become like a credible winner of a tournament like this or a credible top guy in a promotion, he does need that little bit extra. For the role here, kicking off the tournament against one of the best in the world, I think he fit in perfectly. Um, And yeah, Speedball is just like... Uh, I'm so excited for that guy because his ban on being in the US is nearly up. Uh, I think it's uh, spring next year. And God, the, the tear he's been on in Europe and Japan the last couple of years, uh, that man is going to be offered some very lucrative contracts as soon as he's allowed back in the US. And uh, in terms of time served and bumps on the clock, uh, there, there's very few people I can think of that deserve it more. Yeah, and fair play to him as well, because you really get this, the the passion and drive of someone that they take this five-year ban and instead of seeing it as a knockback, they just see it as a, an opportunity to just go other places and do things, just to keep, you know, doing the thing that they love doing. And um, I know I've seen Bailey a few times, not that many times, but he, yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about him over the weekend, but yeah, he had an incredible tournament and... Uh, if he didn't already have the plaudits and, and the people talking about him before this tournament, they definitely will now. And as you mentioned, yeah, uh, come next year when his ban is up, I would be beyond stunned if he doesn't pop up in 
any of the top promotions. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a match that really isn't worth talking about uh, for long except one key bit of information. That's Jern Simmons beating Lucky Kid. The only thing uh, worthwhile noting about that is one, Jern Simmons was jacked as hell and two, he essentially squashed last year's winner of the tournament who I know you don't keep up regularly with WXW and I don't keep up as regularly as I used to either anymore but honestly, to go from tournament winner to... Uh, essentially jobbed out of the first round of this this tournament just reflects on how kind of 2019 wasn't it didn't go great for lucky kid um i mean it's a story you can tell like i don't think it is it, it's a bad story to tell that and certainly if you're trying to get someone else over who's going to progress far in a tournament and you know from what i understood about lucky kid winning last year's tournament when Simmons basically squashed him in a few minutes. I was like, okay, well, Jens, he must be a finalist. And with the whole story they were telling about him and this kind of being his comeback uh, of sorts, um, it, it told that story effectively for, for me. Um, but I guess I don't have as much context about what Lucky yeah, Kid was meant to do I, for the rest I of the tournament. I think in the context, the guy was like an absolute fever pitch of popularity when he won it. And they kind of did a dusty finish title win for him um and obviously reversed and and the likes and the kind of steam has just been falling out of the guy and you would have seen like even when he did a big angle later on in the weekend where he formed a heel faction <laughs> that fucking thing <laughs> okay are we talking about that now or yeah then? we can talk because... about it now because the match isn't worth okay. talking about right. he forms it jesus Christ. so the thing that had been happening all weekend is that there was like a weird eye graphic on the screen that was distracting him it turned out the eye graphic was him <laughs> and his new heel faction that are called like Eisel or something and he is reverted to his actual given name of Metahan um, this is all stuff I gleaned from social media after the fact because it wasn't really communicated very well on the night well it was communicated in German yeah, so, yeah. You know. but even like the I, I think just the way that because I've, I've been there when things have happened in German and they've still been able to communicate it very well and I, I just don't think this really... I, I think even just going by the German fans, they didn't really give a fuck. It seemed like uh, it just wasn't really... I suppose when you've fucked it so much with a guy who was like one of your big baby faces this time last year, a heel turn is probably the thing you kind of have to do to refresh. But uh, yeah, yeah it's just the problem that the, there was this massive logic loophole that, okay, why were you distracting yourself from your own matches and why would you get yourself you know, like, intentionally knocked out of this tournament that you won last year. Yeah, to year. position himself by the end of the weekend uh, as number one contender for the mid-card title. Yeah, it just... I. <laughs> and how did he know conveniently that Alexander Wolfe was going to be there this yeah, weekend? Yeah, when to nobody was it supposed just, to. Yeah. The whole fucking thing was a mess. Uh, it was it was like peak Russo booking, yeah. which I'm sure you will know more than anyone else mm-hmm. about at the moment. Indeed. Uh, our next uh, enjoyable, ma- uh, thoroughly enjoyable match was a good bit later in the show, and that was uh, Shigehiro Irie versus Black Taurus. And Big Shig, Black Taurus, it was, to quote uh, Biggie, big meaty men slapping meat. And it was fantastic for the 10 minutes it lasted. Yeah, I I really don't want to be the person that comes on here and, and just, like, shits on everything, but I... <laughs> but here I, you but are. No, no, but I like this match. I did like this match. Yeah, yeah. But this is the first time I saw uh, Irie and got some sense of, like, oh, okay, you know, you're starting to kind of figure yourself out because he obviously has that mold and shape about him where you look like... Basically, he looks like he should fit straight into the never scene in, in New Japan. 
Yeah. But he hasn't really done or had any kind of match that's like wowed me. And I think that a lot of this match for me was more about Black Taurus because, yeah. you know, his shape and frame and the way that he moves like a luchador is fucking incredible. He had, um, he had if I was to tip you towards Irie stuff, particularly in... Um, in WXW, he actually had, and I know based on a match we're going to talk about later, this might surprise you, but he had a great series with Bobby Guns last year. I thought you were going to say Alexander James, and I was going to be surprised. <laughs> no, no one's ever had a great series with that man. Um, <laughs> and, oh, fuck, what was the other match I was thinking of? Well, he won Ambition last year, and he was really good in that, as you might imagine. And he had a, oh, he had a great, was it Ilya Dragunov he wrestled at OTT, and it was a banger. I might have missed that one. Yeah, time. it was it was the the Tala Basketball Arena show that had the the Devlin versus Star opener. Oh wait, no, I did see that then. February it was a February last year. Yeah, I was there. I yeah, don't yeah. remember a thing about that match. It was because it, it was it was pretty might have been blown up because I think it followed the Walter Pack match. Ah, uh, right. Okay. <laughs> Where everything kind of paled in comparison after yes. that one two opener. It was a very good match though. Um you you mentioned him, but we may as well mention at this stage. Alexander James um was beaten by Jeff Cobb. Jeff Cobb is a guy who I have talked about on this show and other podcasts before. There's no pro wrestler in the world that I more actively will on in his matches to like show a bit of aggression and kick on to that next level. He is probably in some ways the most frustrating professional wrestler that I enjoy because he is one of the most naturally gifted athletes I've seen in person ever in a ring. And just, if he just had that little bit extra about him, he would be an absolute megastar. Look, he's still doing fucking all right for himself. Don't get me wrong. But my God, my fucking God, Alexander James came in here and just, this was interminable. Like I'm looking at cage match here and this was, this went 1244 and it felt like it went 2244. Yeah, here's the thing, right? So there is this thing where, the type of wrestler that Alexander James is, you mean that? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not gonna like err on his side here, but I'm gonna play a little bit of devil's advocate, and it's it's the Baron Corbin effects, right? There are certain elements and aspects of a wrestler like a Baron Corbin or an Alexander James, where what they do, the role they serve, is effective, and they're very good in that role. Uh, and I think that part of the issue with that type of character is to like the audience of us. And that's not just to say that we're, you know, work rate marks, because I can still be heavily invested in the match that's purely kind of based on, on uh, the story and the characters and everything else. Um, but that type of character definitely to a more kind of hardcore audience just doesn't really translate in 2020. And um, I think that they're always going to face an uphill battle. And I think Lanza was talking about this recently, that like sometimes... Uh, our audience, like the, the more hardcore audience, are not willing to accept that, no, we're actually being worked and that we say that we hate someone, but that's because we're meant to hate them because they're the heel. And I think that that line sometimes that that gets lost. But I will say I, I think, with all I, of that, I think the classic he did example of that. I think the classic example of that in the last couple of years was Bobby Roode's NXT run as a heel. Because yep. he, he was yep. working as a like a, an old territory heel where he like he'd slow down matches and work limbs and stuff like that. But it was in a way so that you would actively not root for him. Yeah, I think I think in the grand scheme of things, when we look back, I think that his NXT run is actually a little bit underrated. Yeah, for sure, uh, I'd agree in that. Um, and and I don't, I, I I would agree with you. Like, I don't want every single match to be the same super indie style or 
much as I enjoy the whole of ambition and love that shoot style, I don't want every match to be that either. I, I want a nice smorgasbord uh, on my wrestling show. A little bit of everything, a little bit of comedy, a little bit of hard-hitting stuff, a little bit of high-flying. That's how wrestling is great. It's a variety show at the end of the day. That said, the best, we were talking about this, and the best explanation for why this match bored the shite out of me was somebody pointed out, so Jeff Cobb was brought in to replace Leo Rush, um, who had pulled out of the weekend. And if you think about that match, that's exactly how Alexander James would have wrestled Leo Rush. Yeah, yeah. And look, I mean, one of the biggest issues with this match is that it was the second longest first round match. And there was no need for this to be more than, I don't know, seven minutes. Um, it's definitely <coughs> one of those things where they could have got in, got out, and, you know, we could have all got on with our day. And the placement of the match makes sense that after something like Irie and Taurus, where you're expecting to be a little bit faster and a little bit kind of just, you know, two real big physical presences. And in fairness, Cobb and James, like they're both very large men and they went in a, a different direction. And I think this match could have been a lot more effective. And as usual, and I think this has been a common theme we've had this year, where you just look at match and you think that didn't, that needed five, ten minutes taken off of it. It didn't need to go that long. Yeah. So I think that's the, because like this match was totally fine for what it was. I wouldn't say this was a bad match. We were, get onto the next night where James had a bad match um there was just the crowd was dead like the crowd was into this match as far as I could see yeah they, they were definitely into Jeff that's oh, for yeah, sure that, which of course is what they're meant to be so yeah but yeah. um I would say there was a distinct maybe not as much with this match but with the storyline that Alexander James was involved with of course oh yeah that weekend. whole thing can go fuck itself as well I'll give you that no one gave a fuck about it no. and we may, we may mention that later on but we, we'll, we'll see anyway what, what comes out um, and then the other thing maybe worth talking about from that night, <laughs> we talked about the language barrier and how with things like the heel turn with Metahan, the former lucky kid, maybe things don't translate very well. But how language transcending is the charisma of one absolute Andy, my friend? He he is like up there with Bonesaw in terms of like <laughs> top tier dad, dad type oh, uh, yeah. wrestlers, you know. Uh, yeah, I had no fucking clue what they were going on about. At some point... They were talking about um, which Chelsea footballer or ex, I can't remember what he was at this point. Oh, so yeah, um, the the whole running skit is that he's in a tag team, JAA, with his uh, his tag team partner, Jay Skillet. And the whole running joke is that Jay Skillet looks like Andre Shirley. That's the one. So he was getting the crowd to chant, Absolute Andy. And then he would get them to chant, Andre Shirley, instead of Jay Skillet. Um, and it used to be a thing where Skillet used to get real mad about it when he was a heel in a team called JFK. But um, now that they're comedy baby faces, he kind of leans into it a bit. Uh, and I was saying, you know, Andre Shirley isn't doing as much these days. And if somehow WXW can ever get Andre Shirley to appear at an event, it would be the greatest payoff. Their comedy peak was the following night. Uh, but on this night, uh, they had their world tag team title match against a pretty bastard who I've never been mad on. I had to witness their heel turn and win at Tag Festival last year that I wasn't wild about. But here the match started and I was like, God, like there's stuff. I think I was saying this to you as well. Like when the pretty bastards run offense, it's like none of their stuff feels like it has impact, you know? And there was a couple of people this weekend that I felt that about. Just It, it just felt like they weren't laying it in, that they were very, like too light. They looked and wrestled like one of the more shindy-rific acts I've seen in a while. Yeah. But 
I will say, absolute Andy in particular. Jay Skillet, I think, impressed you quite a bit. And I'll, yeah. I'll defer to you in a second on your thoughts on the team. But uh, absolute Andy in particular basically willed this match into being quite good by the end. Like, I wouldn't say this is making the sheet necessarily. Um, but I would say the closing stretch, absolute Andy in particular, made it very enjoyable. So, yeah, what did you think about these these two guys in this match yeah i i'd heard of absolute andy over the last couple of years um i can't say i'd ever really seen anything and he from what i understand is is just a tad bit heavier than he may have used to have been um but he for a man of his size you know he moved around um and it's one of those things where wrestlers tend to even if they get a little bit heavier they they usually like uh, cardio machines and they can go for for you know a fair amount of time that just always takes you by surprise like vader has always did the example he's like how the hell does that man go for as long as he does at his size but yeah i i thought jay skillet like nothing out of this world but um their connection like the two of them their connection with the crowd um i i thought translated across really well and and i thought Skillet was very smooth with some of his uh, transitions and moves. And yeah, like overall, this wasn't any kind of tag match to, to, to write home about, but um, it was effective in terms of at the end of it, everyone cheered, uh, everyone wanted to see the change. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it was a strong enough end to night one. Yeah, I think so. Um, moving on to uh, early on Saturday then, and Ambition 12, Mark... If I could marry a show, it would be an ambition show. And like a lot of these, particularly the early matches on the show, are, are quite short. Um, so I think maybe we'll just talk about, um, a, unless you have something else you want to talk about, I, I want to talk about... Well, I would just I'll just say this. this. Yeah, well, I, there's only a few specific matches we'll talk about, but just in terms of what like this tournament was, and you mentioned the likes of Battle Arts earlier, but just having this kind of self-contained two-hour show yeah. where you have about eight or nine matches, and for the most part, most of them go no longer than about five minutes. You know, they they go in. Um, there can be a, a, a surprise submission. There might be this knockout kick that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, it was that sensation. Like, that's the great thing about that style, kind of like MMA, where it's like, you know, even when it's a lot of holes, that feeling that the match could end at any moment gets you that bit more invested. Yeah, yeah. And so I thought that the, like, this style of tournament, and, you know, I'm not the the person to go to when it comes to talking about that kind of shoot style of wrestling because my knowledge is very limited yeah we'd, um, we'd, we'd I, be picking up the, the the hotline to jamesy if we needed to yeah like I, I remember um uh, alan years ago when he was over in england for i can't remember which whether it was dragon gate or noah but he showed us um a battle last match that i'm pretty sure was ikeda and ishikawa which we'll talk about and i remember just being completely blown away because my first time seeing that sort of style and it's not a style that I followed up and chased up afterwards because um, I I wasn't really one to try and find anything that was that too like I was, I'm not on fucking any of the torrent sites or anything. So, um, but you know, whenever I've watched that style of wrestling, I've always been thoroughly entertained. Um, and so, like as a, a whole kind of package, this two hour show, like this was my favorite part of the weekend by far. Yeah, a couple of matches here that I really enjoyed. Two of them involved Scotty Davis, and that was Scotty Davis uh, in a surprise win over Speedball. And then Scotty in his loss to uh, Dan McCabe in the, the Jamesy Derby. Yeah, uh, he, he, he kind of being the amateur wrestler, 
this is really the kind of environment for him to shine. Obviously, I've seen Speedball in these tournaments a couple of times. He had a really good fight with uh, Matt Riddle at the first one of these I attended. And, and yeah, he was really impressive. And a guy who I think you were saying uh, before this weekend really hadn't clicked with you because he is an ultimate grapple fuck kind of guy uh, was Daniel Maccabe. But I think kind of particularly after this show, you were kind of like, okay, yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> in I, this context. In this context, I was totally fine with Maccabe and I don't want to upset Jamesy too much. Um, but Maccabe in general, uh, and, you know, I don't want to say that the look of a wrestler is everything. I think that you can still be effective as a professional wrestler without, you know, being chiseled out of stone. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I Chris that, Hero, like Chris Hero, is the yeah. absolute example of that. And I think that you know, depending on who you are and your frame, sometimes, like you know, again, like Keith Lee isn't um, anyway chiseled, but it, his yeah. frame works to his style. Or Kevin um, Owens as well. Yeah, Kevin Owens as well. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but I do think that his overall just kind of look just it. it it immediately makes me go, ah, I'm not buying this. And I don't think that he's, and I think part of it is just because we're um, blessed with the likes of a, a Zack Sabre Jr. Um, that when you go to that kind of heavy grappling sort of style, like my brain will just immediately go to Zack. And maybe it's just a, you know, a cloneism thing, but, you know, um, mm-hmm. he he just has a, a way that he, he makes it interesting throughout and, and that's not to say that Maccabi isn't bad at what he's doing, but it's just not particularly interesting and nothing looks particularly, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just, it doesn't stand to, to out you, for me. That, that, that's what, like, we'll, we'll put that caveat in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, here, like it, it was more effective, I guess. Uh, and, and I enjoyed him in this tournament and, uh, and for whatever, everything, he seemed like a very nice person. So yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I suppose then let's get on to the two big, uh, exhibition matches here. Uh, first, the ambition next gen fight, the two young guns against each other, Ethan Allen uh, defeating Luke Jacobs. Now, they had a match that was equivalent, maybe slightly better, on the final Tetsujin show, which I recommend everybody check out. It is for free on YouTube, apparently. Someone was telling me over the weekend. I think the show was called Tetsujin is Fucking Dead, which is a great last show name for a promotion. Um, but these two guys who I have seen a bit of over the last six months or so absolutely just battered the shite out of each other here yeah i i can't remember where it was i I know we mentioned it but um i think it was i think we had this earlier this uh last month with the uh tegan knox and um dakota kai match where because they're best friends you know they just levered into each other and it was all the more effective for it yeah the the classic example i always give is uh eddie guerrero jbl having those blood baths in the mid 2000s and they were like best buds yeah uh so you definitely got that sense here and i know i've seen these two before i can't remember for the life of me where uh, they were on. Were you at the Contenders show they wrestled on? Yeah, my. I'm guessing it was that. Yeah. Um, but I was watching this match, and the thing that I got out of it, and when I saw them again afterwards, was I was just looking at Luke Jacobs, and I was just looking at like a mini Kenta Kabashi. You know, in terms of, because he's very kind of barrel chested, which is insane for his age, um, and just the way his trunks are kind of pulled up and his barrel chest, and the way he just kind of moves around the ring is like, my God, you've been watching like fucking mid-90s Kenna Kabashi uh and you know you take elements of uh, Brian Danielson with that as well and it's just it's so like that is what he's kind of setting himself on which I'm all for because honestly uh, I don't think there's anyone really out there that 
has that kind of frame or that sort of style about them because I think, yeah. um, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, we've had so many more people kind of being influenced by like Brian Danielson or AJ Styles or even we're at the point now where people have been inspired by Will Ospreay. So it's kind of a bit of a throwback, which is kind of weird to say for someone who was only like mid-90s to, to early 2000s. But I think it's incredibly effective and I think that he actually even again for his age he fits that and he makes that work for him and really stands out for it uh and yeah these two just fucking levered into each other and it was great yeah absolutely um and i can't wait to see i hope these guys are around on the scene for a lot longer i mean they're they're really young and i know they're around the kind of uh wwe friendly promotions like wxw and progress so i'm sure i'm sure certain people are talking to them but hopefully they can kind of resist i would like to think that we're starting to see that a lot of these people they're getting snapped up like an a kid for example that the generation around them or even the next generation are looking at what's happening to these people they're getting snapped up and nothing is being done with them that they would avoid that temptation but i mean depending on what they're offered i i will still never blame anyone for taking a contract for them if it gives them a steady paycheck but i i think the more clogged developmental in particular gets i think the more value these guys are going to add to themselves by saying no oh absolutely that's that's the main thing of course and i i fully agree with you and yeah and i think even waiting a little while to see what kind of recruitment efforts say AEW might make in Europe because then you can do a bit of a bidding war but you know there are ways from that yet I think I heard on on the Grapple Spotlight which is one of my favorite um wrestling podcasts to listen to at the moment I thoroughly recommend it uh, they were talking about how somebody had said over the weekend that like Ethan Allen and Luke Jacobs are two of the best wrestlers in the world and then Benno was kind of saying well, look calm down yeah, they're, I mean, no, they're, they're nowhere near that yet. <laughs> Come on, they're Jesus. on a they're on a trajectory that they could very well be elite independent wrestlers within a few years. Um, well, you know, hopefully Dave, we, can, we can cherish them. You know what that is, right? That is, you know, everyone. Oh, I was there when Arctic Monkeys uh, were around. You yeah. know, there before they released. I bet that you look yeah. good on dance floor. You know, it's everyone trying to find yeah. that band before everyone else. I, and I, I, I was think, the I think worst it's also. For that. I think it's a combination of that and also with the top strata routinely getting taken out of the indies now. People are looking for any bright spark to cling themselves onto. Yeah, it's it's um, both of those things. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, a really enjoyable show. And I think that the match we really need to talk about was the, the Battle Arts Rules Super Fight. Daisuke Ikeda and Yuki Ishikawa, two men, 52 and 53 years old, I believe. And within, you're kind of coming out, and I've seen these guys have matches, um, not these particular guys. So, like, the first year I went, Koji Kanemoto was in Carrot Proper, and I think he was in Ambition as well, I can't remember. Or he had a super fight on it. Anyway, he was kind of, Koji Kanemoto is kind of, over the hill sounds harsh, but he, he is kind of in the twilight of his career, and his body hadn't held up and he was kind of going slow. It was great to see Koji Kanemoto, but he wasn't exactly lighting it up in there. Uh, Yuki Ishikawa last year had a, a really good super fight with Tim Thatcher. But you could say to yourself, okay, maybe maybe that was largely Tim Thatcher. He's coming out here against another guy in his 50s. And you're like, these guys, because they're battle arts, because they're legends, and because the crowd at Ambition is educated in that style and the history of that style... They could go half speed here, do fuck all, and still get over as hell. 
Mark, within 30 seconds, Yuki Ishikawa was straight up just punching this man in the jaw. And it was, like, this was the most brutally violent professional wrestling match of the entire weekend. I just, I was watching this match, and one of my favourite things that I've ever heard anyone say at a wrestling show, friend of the show, Sean McGee, uh, I think it was during a Walter match once, and he was just like, does he know this is a work? And it just, I had that line going over my head at certain points during this match. Um, yeah, these two were just legit punching each other in the face. Uh, and I've never heard a crowd crowd react to just what they were seeing um, in that kind of way. Just in our, oh my God, what are these two doing? And it's the thing when you, you get up there in the years and you still go out there and wrestle is you... It's very easy that you can go into that Randy the Ram, the wrestler type scenario where it just it becomes a bit tragic. And, you know, like these two by no means, as you mentioned, like we're in, definitely in their twilight years, um, not exactly in kind of fake physical, uh, physical condition. But there's just a, a, a raw uh, ability and just just an aggression and violence and like it's kind of like Minoru Suzuki you know he's what 52 53 now but he's still legit the most terrifying man you could ever meet it's just the way he smiles you know and these two just there's that kind of physical charisma that comes across and just the fact that they were legit punching each other in the face Uh, and I was just I was mesmerized by this at one point Daisuke comes off the ropes and hits Ishikawa with a shoot headbutt it was a running yeah. shoot headbutt which i'm pretty sure I've never and seen it's before. like i and i mean i don't we were not worked this was an this was actually a headbutt because within half a second you could see the bump rising on ishikawa's head after this oh yeah it, it wasn't it wasn't like a, a moscow torpedo it was like no he ran and he headbutted the other guy on the head ambition 12 start to finish was just a fabulous fabulous show like if you're going to get wxw now to watch one of these events cover to cover this is the one you know, you can pick and choose stuff from the other nights, as we will talk about with night two and night three. But this is the one where it's like, oh, you just you just hit play on this show. You don't need to skip around. Everything is great. Night two uh, was later on that day. We we got our lunch and then we were straight back in uh, for night two. Ugh, let me see. So we've got, I think, three matches here that are kind of... Uh, one is a big, ridiculous situation and two are recommended on cage match. And I think... Um, they're probably the three matches we would have been talking about here anyway, Mark. The first of which is uh, the most bizarre acid trip of a match ever, the JA Tag Team Experton Wildcard Gauntlet match. So the two lads came out, uh, cut a lengthy promo in German that I ended up tweeting. Myself and my friend Adam, who were standing beside each other, were ruining the fact we didn't understand German because we could understand this was a hilarious promo, but we just didn't understand what they were saying. Uh, but it was explained to us that they were announcing a tag team gauntlet for which Jay Skillet had designed the graphics himself. And they were great graphics uh, on the screen. And that it was a mystery tag partner gauntlet where uh, no one was going to know who their partner was until the music hit. Now, as with all gauntlets, this had moments. It had peaks and valleys. There were very enjoyable moments the young guns were uh, the last team in here so when they got in it was great uh, there was a moment where chris ridgeway and scotty davis came out as a team and that was very enjoyable uh, but mark i think we would be remiss if we didn't mention a moment in the middle of this match where music started playing and the czw logo appeared on the screen 
Now, we knew Anthony Green and Joe Gacy had had a match, uh, a CZW exhibition match earlier in the day. So we were like, oh, yeah, no, no, it's it's going to be one of them. And then myself and a couple of other people were cracking up because we knew he was there with them. We were like, oh, it'd be really funny if, if DJ Hyde was involved. Lo and behold, <laughs> out comes DJ Hyde <laughs> in his gear. And then comes uh, his partner, German comedy wrestler, Levaniel, who was cutting uh, a very lengthy promo as he was walking around the ring, not looking at the ring, during which time DJ got jumped and pinned. But uh, yeah, DJ Hyde match off the bucket list for you, Mark. Uh, I, yeah, I never thought I would see DJ Hyde live, but I guess we've got that one crossed off the list. And two, uh, I guess there is no German translation for the word deathmatch. <laughs> no, no, seemingly not. Um, but yeah, this was uh, enjoyable. Uh, we also had the ultimate beef team of uh, Avalanche and Black Taurus, which were, they kind of, uh, they, they ran through a good bit of this match and they were, uh, they were quite good, particularly Black Taurus, obviously. We have maybe, maybe the best actual, like, one-on-one match of the whole weekend. Mike Bailey versus Bandito. Fucking hell, Mark. Where do you start with this? So, this match was certainly towards the end. Absolutely insane. And I remember I tweeted at the end of the match, is like, I think I just saw a top rope flipping, like, Spanish fly fisherman's buster. Which I didn't know was a move that could be done, but, you know, here we are. Okay, I'm going to be that guy again, because one of us has to be. I saw people saying that this was the best match that they'd ever seen live. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. No. It is not the best match that any of us have ever seen live, because some of the people that were saying that, I was with last year when we saw Devlin and Star, which I think is a better match yeah. than this. I think this was an absolutely excellent super indie style match. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, I do think that for about the first half of this match, there are moments where this was just a little bit sloppy, there are a little few... And look, hey, when you're wrestling the way that these two are, that's going to happen. And I, you know, who the fuck am I to critique someone having, you know, a few moments in a match where he gets a little bit sloppy? But it was there, and that's the kind of stuff that will take you out of it. And so, you know, by the time it got towards the end and they were kind of clicking in all gears, and then, you know, with, with the end sequence, I was like, I was blown away, and I thought, okay, this match was incredible. But it's that kind of, when people talk about um, giving a like a five-star rating to a match, it has to be there at that moment. You're like, yeah, that was a five-star match. And I, I never thought at any point during that or at the end that that was the case. Uh, and I definitely never thought that it was, uh, you know, like the best match that I'd ever seen. But I definitely thought that there is no match that is going to top that this weekend. There's just, no. The, the way, you, like, Bandito is, is sneakily having, uh, and we'll talk about this later, but he's sneakily having, like, one of the better... Uh, you know, when it comes to kind of rest of the year candidates, he's going to be, he's a top 10 candidate at the moment. Um, and, you know, he just, he has everything between the charisma, um, the, the, the athletic, athleticism, the power, like some of the things that he did, that did over this weekend uh, to show off his strength. Like it takes you a little bit by surprise, but it shouldn't because he's fucking jacked. And uh, yeah, these two just, you know, they had an incredible match and it was what at this point the tournament needed and i think it's why some people may have just slightly overhyped it because you know if you spend money and you go to uh, a wrestlemania weekend or you go yeah. anywhere or you know go to like the tokyo dome you want to have that match to hang your head on to yeah. say okay this money this investment was worth it yeah so i, I think yeah. i i think i went four and a half on this so like yeah so like really really good 
and uh, when you take out the live bias of it, it is just really, really good. And I, I'll tell you what, though, the finish of that match, just uh, <laughs> like um, I, I will. Say, I, I mean, I wouldn't take uh, that no, move. Just no, saying, I wouldn't even take an approximation of this move. The finish of the match was um, speedball hitting what can only be described as a flipping fisherman buster off the top rope. And I lo- like, and it was thankfully... So, do you remember one of the criticisms of the ROH style and sometimes the PWG style as well is that kind of... The match, the match is building and building and building. It hits a fever pitch. You hit the ultimate death move and then somehow it just keeps going for another five or ten minutes and then it ends. This match built to that move and ended. You know, it didn't go on past the, the peak of the match. It The craziest move of the match finished the match. So I'm happy about that. Yeah, really, really enjoyed this one. And I will just say, please don't throw coins into a ring. Yeah. Like, that seems like a really bad yeah, idea. Yeah, notes is the, the custom. Uh, so stop being cheap uh, because you're going to hurt somebody. Now, the main event of this show, Mark. This has divided people um because i think oh so there are actually people that like this match yeah like about about half of the people we were with now the exact area we were standing in our group of people who were all talking to each other in this match uniformly hated it and it was buried six ways from sunday in the hotel afterwards when we were setting the world to rights at the bar that night but a good few of the travelling Irish and English who I spoke to over the coming days loved it. And I will say, so this is Bobby Guns versus David Starr, uh, WWX, WXW uh, Unified World Wrestling title versus WXW career match, which Bobby Guns won. Um, so it was David Starr's final match in the promotion. I think a lot of us had a feeling it probably would be with the whole uh, WWE pretty much blackballing Starr from all their affiliated promotions. You know, we've seen him basically run out of town from Progress uh, and the like. Um, and now WXW is the next big one. Um, and I think... So I think... Star did a really heartfelt promo afterwards that was kind of like emotional and stuff like that. And there was genuinely a lot of the German fans were in tears at the end of it. Because, you know, for those of you who don't follow David, haven't followed David Starr's career until he really broke big in the last year and a half or so. He was a CZW guy who came over to Germany and like he didn't really have like a lot of people championing him. But he really, WXW made him. You know, this was the turn. This was the the company in which he started to stand out first before he was before he was ever in OTT, before he was ever in progress, and he wouldn't have got half the opportunities he did had he not had the stellar run uh, he had in WXW. And of course, the WXW is the genesis of his long illustrious feud with Walter. So there were emotions to play into this, but like honestly, and David Starr is my favorite wrestler in the world. So it takes a lot for me to give out shit about a David Starr match. But like you take out that promo at the end and the kind of like significance of the finish once it happened. And it was a really fucking boring match, Mark. Like 20 minutes of this match, they were doing fucking nothing. Honestly, so like, okay, so there's two things that I need to discuss here. First of all, this was my first time seeing Bobby Guns live. And all I knew about Bobby Guns up until this point is that he used to have Robot Rock as his theme tune and people would sing Bobby Guns to the tune of Robot Rock. 
well done wrestling audience for making a tune out of that. Good, good on you. The other thing, as I was watching this match, is there was no part of Bobby Gunn's offense that I found to be convincing or compelling or in any way. It was, you know, only just sign slightly better than the uh, Pretty Bastards tag team that we watched on the, the night before. And we had, as you mentioned, about 20 minutes of this match where nothing fucking happened. Yeah, and there was a lot of it like they were trying to... So some of the WXW main events in the past have kind of... Uh, being able to coast on great atmospheres and dueling chants and things like that. And I feel like they were expecting those to happen to a level they didn't at the start. And then I love limb work as much as the next guy. But, like, Bobby Gunn's on offense is just, uh, particularly this weekend, just not believable for me in the slightest. And, like, I should say as well, I mean, in terms of where you have that match that is split into two halves of the first half that is... A little bit slower there's more kind of groundwork there's limb work you kind of build until you get to that kind of big transition point in the match where it switches into the next gear and it's fair to say that Akada is you know the man in the world when it comes to that style of wrestling match and I am you know I am not burnt out on Kazuchika Akada matches I think he's still the best wrestler in the world and I can watch any of his matches like that any given day of the week even if it's fucking seven times against Sonata they were not, I'm not going to say they were exactly trying to do this, but it was paced in that way. And the first half of it was so fucking boring that it took me out of the second half of it. And I just, I could at no point in this match get invested. So it felt like, yeah, 20 minutes of nothing. And then I felt like particularly, I felt Star was in, in the self-awareness that obviously this is going to be his last night in the company. I felt like he was trying too hard to make this into... It's like the forced epic thing I talk about, which is a real trope that bothers me a lot in NXT. Like, he was trying so hard to make this match into a big deal at the end, but it was so far gone, as you say, for some of us in the room, that it just, him killing himself feel like he was just over-egging it. Because there's like a point where he like takes a header out onto a chair off a suicide dive, and he uh, they did a headbutt spot. Um, you know, where Star started bleeding, and it just kind of... It just felt like the, the horse had already bolted. It was too late. Um, I think the bit that, like, you know, if it was slow-paced and it built to something and there was loads of logic to it, you know, that'd be one thing. But I think the thing that, like, the final straw for me, it's something I keep talking to people about, is how uh, Bobby Guns spends so long in this match working on one arm of David Starr. And then when he goes to put on his... Uh, his big um, submission hold on the arm uh, to try and finish the match, does it on the wrong arm, which I think is this match in a nutshell. Um, it, it's like it, it, weird amounts of attention to the wrong details and not enough attention to the right details. And it, it, as you say, like it just went on so long. It was 41 and a half minutes. I was so drained. Like, by the end, some of us were kind of just sitting down and almost not watching it. And then to take any surprise out of the actual finish, there was a bit towards the end, I think 90 seconds from the end or so, where Star just, like, kissed... the Like, Bobby Guns brought the belt into the ring and Star just kissed the belt. And I felt like that was over-egging it that you knew right, Star's losing. So then the, the finish doesn't have the impact that it should. Nice promo. Sad to see David Star go. He's one of the best wrestlers in the world. I, I think I put more of the blame on this match for on guns than him, 
but I, I think some of his indulgences in trying to make things an epic when they aren't already going that way, I, I think came up here as well. So he's not entirely blame free. Yeah, I, there's nothing there <clears throat> you said that I disagree with. I, I think they're all um, fair points. And I mean, I don't know if you want to discuss at all, you know, the, the external factors and influences that were likely involved in this match and the finish. Um, I don't think there's much we can say that hasn't already been said elsewhere. Yeah, so, so essentially he's being blackballed by WWE. He, you know, some people are going, aha, you know, they're so gotten to about stamping on the belt because he stamped on the UK title belt in his match against Walter. And even though him and Walter discussed it and Walter was fine with it, WWE obviously hadn't said yes to it. And some people got on social media and were real pissy about it. I'm looking at you, Pete Dunne. Um, so a lot of people are going, oh, is this why he's getting blackballed? And to be honest, like if you're reading between the lines and you're actually thinking about this, like, and it's a very four dimensional chess kind of thing to say, um, the, the title belt is kind of just the upfront excuse for why he's being blackballed. Um, it is infinitely more probable and sensible that the reason he's being blackballed is because of his moves to unionize professional wrestling, which is something that WWE is so, so rattled about the prospect of that ever happening that he isn't the first guy to get completely shit on by them for trying to make that happen. And he won't be the last. No, 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 no. And it's just the case, the, the case that he is like so unrelentingly vocal about it and then everything with gabe on twitter as well and um and i think at that at this point it's something that jamesy and both and and benno said both on twitter as i i think if you're one of these people who because there are a cadre of people on social media and stuff who just have it out for star no matter what he does they find a way to criticize him for it i was like if you're one of the the gang that buys into the thing that uh the him pushing for unionization is just a kind of a publicity thing to sell t-shirts and stuff like that i think you need to have a fucking word with yourself at this stage because he's gotten himself blackballed from two of the highest profile indies and the biggest company in the world um he's actively harmed his own career to further the interests and support for his co-workers um so yeah i i think you need to drop the sham that he's doing this just to sell t-shirts I I look the thing is is you're always going to have that part of the audience that will have like some sort of conspiracy theory for you know whatever anyone does um and there's nothing that you can do that will change their minds so I just it's just it's not worth kind of adding fuel to that fire yeah because they're the same guys who didn't really you know they're all they're all moral about this but didn't bat an eyelid when the guys behind the defend indie wrestling clothing brand all signed contracts with WWE you know (laughs) It's funny that when the guy they don't like does a thing, that that's when they go mad. Um, But yeah, so that's night two anyway. Like you said, there's not a whole hell of a lot we can go into more that wasn't said more eloquently elsewhere. Um, Again, I would recommend the Grapple Spotlight podcast for a good breakdown on that kind of stuff. And I think um, Will Cooling did a great one behind the PW Torch paywall about it all as well. So I'd recommend those two in particular. Uh, Night three, I, I think the big recommended match on this so there's two the first one features the Owlads again it was the ring camp battle arts derby timothy thatcher and yuki ishikawa uh versus daisuke Ikeda and walter this was tim thatcher's farewell match from wxw because he obviously signed for wwe as well and is over in florida now this was just great stuff um this was stiff 
this was brutal. It wasn't as brutal as Ikeda versus Ishikawa from uh, Ambition, but it wasn't too far off. There was one point where Yuki Ishikawa just straight out started punching Walter in the mouth. And I he, the, be, the, the best bit of this match was just at the start, like as Ishika, Ishikawa gets to the ring and just starts going at Walter. Yeah. And, and just like, like, I don't give a fuck if you're six five like 300 pounds i give a fuck i'm getting up in your face and i might be an old man but i will punch you in the face and i loved as well um i I, you know i i loved um just that tim and walter were having the time of their lives in there like you just look at them on the apron and they had the biggest fucking smiles on their faces during this stuff there's one where there's one moment in the match that somebody got it's like a, a fan footage from the crowd of um Ishikawa just firing up on Walter and just punching him and Tim Thatcher is losing his mind on the apron loving it um but yeah this is a really good match and a really uh you know it ended and they had I think the best the most Tim Thatcher goodbye of all time he's a guy who very much doesn't like the spotlight um he he didn't want a big deal made of his goodbye People were chanting, thank you. He was going to say, uh, Walter insisted he stay in the ring and handed him the microphone to say something. Tim Thatcher was crying. We were all gone in the crowd when we saw Tim Thatcher was tearing up. Um, He dropped the mic. The entire roster, obviously as a surprise because they were all laughing about it while crying. Um, the whole roster emptied out onto the stage and gave a standing ovation to Tim. And Tim was like telling him to get lost. And then eventually just rather than they were all trying to encourage him to go up onto the stage and take a bow. But in true Tim Thatcher style, he just gave them the thumbs up, bail out the side of the ring and went out the back door. <laughs> what a man. I am beyond fascinated to see like how he fits into the NXT WWE system like it's just (laughs) he's so uncompromising in terms of just not wanting to i don't know like be the center of attention i guess it's he's so unique in that kind of aspect um the yeah this i mean i don't have uh an emotional connection that a lot of people do that have with with thatcher because I haven't watched a lot of WXW, um, and, you know, my kind of prominent memories of Thatcher is more like with his Evolve run, where he wasn't the best heavyweight champion they ever had there. But I get it. I get that people have that connection with him, and, you know, I wasn't crying, but I could definitely see that it was an emotional moment. Yeah, for sure. It was like, it's just kind of between the star and Thatcher departures this weekend, it felt like a real end of an era for WXW. And I really fear for them, like, because it's obviously going to be a tricky period going forward, having lost Star, Thatcher and Walter, who were very much the linchpins of that promotion the last three years. Um, losing them all within about six or eight months um, is really, really tough. The other match from Night 3 I want to talk about uh, is the standard. This is this is a bog standard on Night 3. You have the crazy uh, six-man tag match. This was... Bandido, Jeff Cobb, Julian Pace, Black Taurus, Hector Invictus, and Puma King. Um, so you had two of the local guys in Julian Pace and Hector Invictus on, on opposite teams. And then just craziness around them. Uh, I don't think, again, because it's another one of those uh, super indie style matches. There's not a huge hell of a, a lot. To, we're not going to break this move for move down because it was about four million moves in this 12 minute match. Uh, but this was outrageous and crazy. Yeah, it was just, it's, you know, that 
I, I think of it as the bowler six man or multi man on on night three. They're always uh, completely insane. And uh, the, my biggest takes away from this match was, first of all, I think it's the best match I've ever seen with Puma King in. Um, you know, he's always been someone that uh, kind of like Pentagon Junior, where he heavily relies on the charisma, but he doesn't quite have that and the work rate that Pentagon does. Um, but he was fine here. You know, I thought we had a, a, a solid weekend overall. Uh, and then again, like Black Taurus, just the way he moves for a man his size was was insane. Uh, Bandito was by far the star of this match and, and really over the weekend to some degrees. And yeah, just a crazy six man. Um, it was a good time. Good uh, time. Yeah. And then we had the, the tournament final match. Uh, oh, talking about forced epics, by yeah. the way, Dave. Yeah. Karanawar defeating Mike Bailey. Boy, you were on the Karanawar bandwagon until this match. You really, he really turned on you on this. Um, uh, honestly, but the thing is, like, no, right, right, because yes, to some degree, you are correct. But this was a two-man show of like, I don't know what the fuck both of these men were doing in this match. Twenty-eight and a half minutes, by the way, and felt longer than the Star and David match. If I'm uh, Star and Bobby Guns match, if I'm being quite honest, this yeah. felt like it went. I think it's still going on right now. Yeah, it went on about like this was the classic. I thought it was ending about 10 minutes before it actually did. Yeah. And, and there then, was a moment with a, his uh, shooting star knee drop thing that he does. I can't remember what his actual name for it is. Uh, he did it on the apron and missed and it looked like they were going to the finish. Uh, and I think, did it even go so far as Karen Ward locking in the blackout sleeper at that point? Um, but yeah, it felt like it was ending then and then it just kept going. And there was a bit about I want to say I don't know maybe twenty minutes into the match where Noir's on the f uh, is lying down and like Bailey's just looking at him like I don't know whether he's feeling sorry for him or he's trying to encourage him to get up and then Noir kind of slowly gets up and Bailey kicks him and then they repeat the same process again which takes about thirty seconds and then he kind of sits up and gets kicked and they do it again and I was like what. The f it's it's very rare that I'm looking at a match and in my brain I'm thinking why wouldn't you just fucking pin him? But that's where they got me to in the match. It's like he's just he's there he's on the floor pin him for fuck's sake. Um, this match was just a mess uh, in terms of what you mentioned there and I think it is even worse here even more apparent is the forced epic slash NXT main event style at the moment where it's just. You know, I'm not here saying that every match has to be... You want to go in there and you always want to make it look like you want to win the match. You know, you should be always thinking about winning the match and making it look like that. Not every match has to be like that. I don't think that's the case at all. Mm. But there were just so many moments in this match where that was just not in the equation. And I just... My brain could not understand why the fuck they weren't trying to at least have an element of that in there. And... and I don't know, like, I think someone said it was something like, oh, the Ivan Noir or both of them were, were kind of practicing for being in front of a hard cam or whatever the case mm. may be. Um, but yeah, it was a shame and, and there were elements oh. of the, the portions of the crowd that really turned on this match and I definitely know in our section I was the kind of the high man on Noir and I think Arnold mm. is, is still excellent. I, I yeah. love his look, his gimmick, his work. I, 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 but this match just didn't work. Yeah, I think one of the problems as well with our crowd I think was the mounting realisation over the course of the weekend that he's not signed but Karen Noir is the champion in progress and if he were to win... 16 karat gold in what was his first weekend in the promotion that it might indicate 
that maybe there are suggestions coming from on high to push certain people in anticipation of them signing. And I think that put a bit of a dampener on things on top of this match being a bit of a wet fart. Uh, well, again, I don't want to go with the, the conspiracy theories. And if that becomes to, if that ends up being true, then, you know, fine, whatever. Um, but no, I, I can't. I can't sit there and, and watch a, rest, a weekend of wrestling and just have this in the back of my mind about, oh, what's the Fed doing? How are they involved? Whatever. I just I just want to sit there and watch the wrestling or yeah. stand I mean, there. sometimes it is hard to keep that out of your head. I get though, that, but again, I think part of it is I don't have, again, the emotional investment that some people do have with WXW. And, you know, I, I know people like Alan have mentioned that Alan Farrell, you know, might not go back to WXW, might not go to another weekend and... And we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, just this match just didn't work. Uh, and I think that's a, a universal agreement that what they were trying to do just did not work. Uh, let's move on. Uh, we kind of talked extensively about the weekend at WXW and just hit a couple of uh, notable things uh, from around the world uh, from, from WWE and AEW. And let's go to WWE first. They had Elimination Chamber while we were over in Germany. And I think while we were all sitting around in the hotel lobby on Monday waiting for our flight, um, we all at one stage or another got to watch what was the real standout match on that show. And that was Drew Gulak and Daniel Bryan basically being allowed to have the exact type of match you would imagine they would want to have with each other. Um, and I think particularly because it was in the context of a WWE pay-per-view and it's so surprising to see this style, I fucking loved this match. Yeah, I, I thought this was a great match um, in, in just in terms of it was like unlike anything else that we've really seen from them in a very, very long time. And the story... The, the build for this match was just, hey, I think I'm better than you. I think I know what your weaknesses are. And the other guy's like, well, let's fucking go in the ring and, and see if that's the case. Uh, just very, very simple. And I think it's just one of those things that Vince McMahon probably isn't watching SmackDown and doesn't care. Um, and just kind of like, yeah, sure, Daniel, go and do your thing. So we just got two guys that can go in who... I imagine Gulak watched a lot of Daniel Bryan or Bryan Danielson growing up uh, and as he was getting into his, his wrestling career, so I'm sure he was more than thrilled to get in there. I know Daniel Bryan is a massive fan of, of Drew Gulak and um, this is one of those types of matches where we were like, when he came back, we were like, oh man, yeah, this would be awesome. This this can happen. And uh, they went in there and it was very physical. Uh, Bryan took a terrifying German suplex, which I still can't work out if it was meant to be intentional or not. Yeah. It, the more uh, yeah. I saw the replays, the more I was kind of less worried about it because like, he took the whole thing on his shoulder instead of his neck. Because of the first, when you see it on the hard cam, you're like, oh my God, he's dead. Um, but the kind of like a couple of the angles like, okay, no, no, he took it. It's fine. It's fine. Whew. Okay. Yeah, it was it was scary. But yeah. then, hey, if that was meant to be the case, yeah. Daniel Bryan is one of the best wrestlers in the world. So yeah, and it, it look, of all time, in, indeed. Um, and <laughs> it, it looks like they're gonna either further this story or form a tag team or somewhere in between. And I am absolutely happy. I was kind of pitching to the lads in the group chat that like I want a best of seven series, and then they can form a tag team. Um, because I want to see this match more. But hey, look, if they're gonna form some sort of weird WWE version of Catchpoint. Um, I'm down with that as well. Uh, I, I was giddy last night because the Empty Arena Smackdown show was going to have Debray versus Cesaro. Unfortunately, it went five minutes, but hopefully there will be more in the future. Um, Smackdown has that kind of roster where they could just do one of those kind of matches for like 15 minutes a week and I would be in heaven. Um, 
The only other thing really of note from that show was the Women's Elimination Chamber, which was uh, all dull at the start, but uh, in kind of the in terms of achieving the objective of the match, they absolutely nailed it because Shayna Baszler killed them all um, and looked like a monster doing so. Uh, the first, incredibly, we were we were talking about this. The Elimination Chamber has been around since Survivor Series two thousand and two, and this was the first time in any of those matches that somebody pinned all five opponents. Which is stunning because Triple H well, has been in sorry, about 10 of them. De- defeated because I, th- I think she choked them all out with the Kira yeah. Fuda clutch. Um, so yeah, yeah, Triple H has been in them. Goldberg beat everybody except Triple H in the second elimination chamber. Um, so we've had some close calls in the past. Um, but yeah, I, just incredible. Um, uh, incredible. She looked like a killer. The only thing that was incredible was this match though because yeah. just the actual like work was, was yeah. not very good and the yeah. crowd was not really with it for... A yeah. fair amount of it. She, she was incredible. The match yes. was not. No. Uh, and especially when she started pulling out, like she's basically doing a Kamigoye and a Stormbreaker now <laughs> in her finishing routine, which is just wild. What a world that we live in where mixed martial artists are picking up moves from Will Ospreay. Yeah, yeah. And she even on Twitter quote tweeted uh, somebody talking about it and saying, yeah, it, it is a, an Osprey tribute that she's doing, which is, it, it's great stuff. But yeah, that's that's WWE. And um, I, I just want to point out um, from this show, uh, one other thing, uh, just because I'm looking here and they it has the, the Meltzer ratings. And, you know, whatever Meltzer rates a match, I'm not going to like pay too much attention to but (laughs) how in god's name he thought that aj styles and alistair black was a three and a half star match it is fucking beyond me because that match like the uh the star guns match i think could still be going on right now um between the logic of the match being i don't understand why you would have the oc out there in a no dq match and not just getting not jumping into the match straight away uh and they're acting like the managers but then getting like if they didn't get involved at all that's one thing but the fact that they got involved just at the end makes you questions like well why didn't you just get involved at the start and the fact that this went 20 minutes or so just to have the taker come in at the end it's like just have undertaker come in two minutes into the match and let's get the fuck out of here um the other thing we want to talk about before we finish up here is AEW revolution which happened at the very end of February. I think we don't have the time here to go into the build-up to Evolution. The three dynamites beforehand were sensational television. It's worth picking out, among other matches, the Wardlow-Cody cage match. And uh, one of my personal favourite matches that promotion has ever put on, the Pac-Kenny Omega-Iron Man match, was sensational. But this pay-per-view... Uh, we kicked things off. I'm going to go match by match here because we might have thoughts and I don't think we've talked about this show between us, but we, we'll have some things. We'll, we'll talk longer about some matches than others. Uh, the, ma- the the pay-per-view kicked off with Jake Hager defeating Dustin Rhodes. I thought, Mark, this match entirely too long by half and I hated all the Jake Hager wife spots. Yeah, it was really weird. I mean, like there are aspects of it that seem like very old school booking and I can see why those spots were put in there. And um, I mean, I didn't, you know, I'm not sitting here like, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever, blah, blah, blah. It just, it was surprising, I guess, because at no point did we have this kind of characteristic of Hager. It just, it kind of came out of nowhere. And it's a thing that really doesn't seem to have been mentioned since as well. So um, like that and the Dustin Rhodes kissing his wife's spot, just, yeah, the whole thing just seemed like, just poorly misplaced uh, and not particularly necessary. Uh, but as a match as well, yeah, it was, 
carried by the crowd is the nicest way I'll put it. Thankfully, we had the antidote next. Derby Allen defeating Sammy Guevara. Five minutes. I thought this was a really good little sprint. I don't have a huge amount to say about it. Uh, but I thought this was kind of perfect to kind of wake the crowd back up after the last match. Uh, it was really intense while it lasted. Uh, these are two guys, ridiculously young, upsettingly young, huge future ahead of them. Darby Allen is a fucking megastar. I was saying over the weekend to, to you and a few of the others, I was, like, I was watching this match and I was like, I know we're talking about um, whether they'll have uh, the, the mid-card title or even the six-man titles, but I was watching this thinking they should have a junior heavyweight division like they yeah. have a junior heavyweight division and we're talking about alan and Guevara and jungle boy being um those guys that we're going to build up to in the next few years it's like well you know have that junior heavyweight division so you can have them have those kind of prominent matches now with some weight behind them um and you know have some actual stakes there uh because uh, i think that <coughs> I think that you could have either Allen or Guevara as as a as a junior heavyweight champion and and carry that division for you know the next year or two easily, uh, and yeah, this was just all impact, high intensity. That suicide dive by Allen, I don't know what the fuck he was attempting there. Um, that was only the second craziest uh, suicide dive I saw that I'll be talking about um, this 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 podcast. Uh, but yeah, this is this is good fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of good fun, the AEW World Tag Team title match, uh, Adam Page, Kenny Omega defeating the Young Bucks in what a lot of people, and I can't argue hugely with them, are calling one of the best tag team matches in years in North I, America. This is one of my favorite matches I've ever seen. And... Yeah, this, like we were talking about the, you know, Dave's ratings are a bit mad nowadays. Did he go? Did he go? He went six, six stars. He went six. I wouldn't go six. No, I go. Like, I went the full five. I'm I'm gonna stick strictly to a five star system. Yeah. I'm good to keep it at that, even if it's your fucking omegas and Akadas. I'll keep to five. But this was a match that I watched it three times, and it genuinely got better with each uh, viewing. And I took different things out of it uh, each time that I watched it, uh, which speaks to the level of the. Um, ability of these four but also the storytelling of these four and i mean i feel like we've been saying this for the last year or two maybe even longer but people at this point that say that the bucks don't know how to tell stories in their matches are completely out to lunch they, they have no idea what they're talking about yeah. because they this don't match was... always do it i'll give them that yeah, yeah well but this match was was just a phenomenal piece of storytelling and you know and it wasn't even just the fact that it was just in terms of the the match itself but you know everything that was coming into the match and how it that played into the match and the the individual storylines between all four wrestlers and that's including like between matt and nick and how they were reacting and responding uh, i just thought this whole thing was was just a genuine work of art yeah it was brilliant and my god like this was the kenny omega i've missed uh that uh, you know apart from that iron man match and a couple of other spots uh, I, I really haven't been wild on Kenny and AEW, but this team with Hangman has been brilliant. But also, and, this was the Adam Page show, let's be oh honest. Oh my God. What a 180 I've made on that guy. Uh, like, I really loved him on All In against uh, Joey Janela. I loved that match, but I felt that, like, he felt out of his depth in there with Chris Jericho in that first world title match and that they made the good decision putting it on Jericho, which I still think they did. And I think he was lost for a little while. But my God, am I so invested in Hangman Page now? 
Um, I, I love the guy and he's going to be a huge star going on this current momentum and I, I, I hope all the best for him and yeah, just a five-star match. It's hard to... It started off a bit slow but it felt like it was starting off slow to build to something. It went 30 minutes. The last 15 minutes were just balls out insanity. Uh, loved every second of it. It was great. Um, <clears throat> AEW Women's World Title match put in the absolute death spot here. I felt for them. Um, not a great match and I think the problem is when you put in two women who as promising as they both are particularly in Chris Statlander's case um, I think when you put them in against each other where there is no senior kind of veteran figure to negotiate the death spot and kind of make something out of it you're on a road to ruin here um, and Nyla Rose is just <clears throat> a little bit I think too sloppy at this point to carry the proper quality world title championship affair um and yeah um like these two women i think both of them are only in the business about two years so i guess given that they did all right but um i really think the move should have been to put the belt on hikaru shida this whole time so that no matter who was wrestling for the women's world title match they were in there with an excellent veteran uh, but that's just I think the move should have been never to have taken off Riho but oh, yeah well Riho is great as well but I think Hikaru Shida seems to be connecting more with the US crowd than 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 Riho did I don't know uh, the last couple matches. of Riho matches yeah. before she lost the belt um she she had a connection yeah she was get she was definitely getting there I I think like I I am a high man in Hikaru Shida that is for sure um but yeah this was this was passable i i guess um but it was never it was never going to get the crowd in on onside even if they had a like a an absolute knockdown drag out affair here uh next up we had mjf with wardlow against cody's neck tattoo um cody came out with this horrendous american nightmare neck tattoo or nightmare family neck tattoo that took i think almost everybody out of this match for the first half the match itself was quite dull i think is the biggest probably this and the tattoo being the biggest missteps of cody's AEW run which he has been booking himself in so well for the most part so far um and i really feel for mjf biggest match of his career and it ended up being dull and all people could talk about was a tattoo yeah i mean in terms of giving him some ammunition coming out of the show he has that but I do think that just as a match, this is by far, <coughs> uh, this is Cody's worst like big uh, pay-per-view singles match, uh, probably since the Spears match, which was just largely forgettable at this point. Um, yeah, just like, again, it's always weird when you have the heel that uh, gets cut open and is the one that's bleeding. And um, MJ is really weird in that, he he's such an old school character but he also like bumps in a very kind of old school way as well and he's very almost comical at points with the way that he he sells stuff uh, and, and i'm not sure that's the best approach for him but uh, yeah i mean the whole issue with this match was that next tattoo and i don't know what the fuck cody was thinking as someone who has had at this point an acting career and i'm sure will, will want to do more stuff in the future uh getting a massive tattoo on the side of your neck probably isn't the best approach to take and uh yeah i'm i'm curious to see how they uh it'll be interesting to see what they do next i guess because they're obviously going off in different directions for the time being um i maybe mjf is going to do a mini feud with moxley cody is obviously wrapped up with the elite and the uh the inner circle with the war games match coming up 
you would imagine that they'll probably come back to this at some point because it doesn't seem like a closed deal but um this was this was disappointing very disappointing yeah um next up a match that i really uh, god i love this uh pack and orange cassidy i thought was great this match had me from the second orange cassidy came out with the lazy titan tron and lazy pyro um and yeah i just think this was this was really really good this was perfect this was exactly what it needed to be um pack didn't take him seriously until the point that he had to take him seriously um cassidy like anyone that hadn't seen him properly until this point really got to understand that this guy can go and he is actually very very good and uh it's you know that next kind of elevation of his character that was necessary and it's ridiculous that it happened and on the uh the semi-main event of one of the biggest shows of the year but hey god bless you know and uh there's obviously a ceiling with this character but if he has these kinds of matches uh every now and again and uh, I, I don't think you can ever complain with that, uh, complain about that. And and this obviously uh, on the next dynamite led to the introduction of Pack and Pentagon Junior and Phoenix's Death Triangle, which is the best fucking stable name in an in an eon. Yeah, Inner uh, Circle, yeah. Death Triangle, Hate Rhombus is surely on the way. Can't yeah, wait. it's it's. Uh, <laughs> you you'd been working up to that one, didn't you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, we we can definitely see that AEW are going in a stable, heavy direction. Which geometry stables, yeah. Which on, ge- no, no geometry wars. Oh yes, there you go. Yes, uh, and I think that can never be a bad thing because um, you know you it, it saves you having to do tag matches, and it's why I think New Japan and you know companies like Dragon Gate work so well in that you can save off those big singles matches because you can just do a shit ton of tag matches and honestly tag matches they're always they're always you know effective and they can always be good so then Mark we had the um the AW world title match John Moxley defeating Chris Jericho and look I think it wasn't the the greatest work rate match in the in the world um and, you know, some, including myself, might be like, oh, you know, I, I've con- I've consistently been of the opinion that Jericho needed to hold that belt for two years. Because um, I just I just loved his title reign so much. Um, but, you know, you got to strike while the iron's hot and John Moxley was, was catching fire for them uh, and stuff like that. Uh, even though it wasn't the, the best match on the show, it didn't have a patch on that tag team match. I still really, really enjoyed this as a kind of... Um, it felt like a big deal you know oh yeah it definitely had that big fight feel and i think that it had elements of a late 90s austin walk and brawl at points and very much in that era of austin you know in his more kind of brawling phase of his career uh which on his be fair was more by necessity than choice and you know there are definitely aspects and elements of John Moxley at this point that uh, parallel very strongly to that era of Austin, which isn't the worst place to draw inspiration from, let's be fair. Um, And, you know, considering Jericho at this point, and not to say that he has that many limitations, but the man's, he's, I think he is 50 now, 49. I can't remember exactly. 49, I think. Yeah. So, you know, there are certain corners that you're going to cut and I will never blame him for that because that man still works very, very hard. Yeah. I I feel like he's one of those guys that is quite aware of his limitations and works yeah, around I, them. Look, he's he is the one of the smartest men alive in in the industry, and he certainly knows what he can and can't do at this point. 
And uh, yeah, this was by no means any kind of like standout wrestling affair, but it was fine. And I think one of the biggest issues that AEW has at this point is they haven't had that, you know, real kind of definitive high benchmark world title match. Like we've had, what, four or five title matches, I think, at this point. And, and they've all been, I don't think anything's been higher than maybe like four stars. I think like Cody and Jericho is the strongest. Um, so hopefully at some point with, with Moxley we'll get uh, something in that range. But, you know, yeah, like I, I could have been fine with Jericho holding it um, for the rest of this year. But at the same time, Moxley is, is massive at the moment. And uh, I guess the only headache comes with how he gets booked between... Uh, New Japan and AEW as he's holding belts in both promotions. Yeah, interesting. Um, but yeah, like, look, Moxley's great, and I, I can't uh, begrudge them going with him. And uh, Jericho will hold that title again, is the thing. But know? I will say, I will say, the whole like reveal of, hey, I don't actually have uh, an injured eye. Like, I thought yeah. that spot was kind of redundant because uh, it was like, yeah. okay, well, you've just been wrestling this match with one eye covered. Yeah. Why? I felt like I could see what they were trying to do with it but felt like the execution made it feel a little bit sillier than it necessarily i think they should have sold it rather than oh maybe because the commentators were kind of going was he never injured in the first place and i think where you needed to lean with it was more in the lines of oh he's recovered you know um but yeah, it just it didn't come off as well as I think they thought it would. Honestly, um, honestly, the way they should have done this is he should have taken the eye patch off at the start of the match. Yeah, and completely put put um, Jericho off his game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, right, uh, yeah, that's so that's our our big kind of headlines in WWE and AEW out of the way. So, Mark, I I think without further ado, it's time to turn over to the sheets. Um, that being our uh, match of the year and wrestler of the year spreadsheets that we're both individually keeping this year. And I think kind of like um, we did in January, uh, in the period since we last spoke, I, I think what we'll do is um, we'll go back and forth. We'll maybe do three matches each uh, during the period of time since our last show that we want to point people in the direction of um as my dog wakes up from his nap uh and then maybe finish off with uh just uh we, we were talking about this off the air uh who is kind of uh appearing the most on your match of the year list so far maybe your top two or three um and see where you're at um so mark uh I'll, I'll give you the office first uh since the end of january give us say your first match of something you want to direct people towards um, well, I'll go from February because we did the, the our, our kind of January recommendations at the the last show. So I've got three matches anyway. Uh, from February the eighth, uh, from Stardom, a match I know that you've watched, uh, Takumi Iroha versus Mayu Iwatani, uh, from Stardom, the way to the Major League, and this is, I think, by far my my best uh, women's match of the year so far. Um, I've seen May was this uh, the match where Iroha was the last minute substitute yes. for was it Sari has gone yep, to yep, WWE yep, yep. and uh, this was my first time seeing um, Iroha live and I think a few minutes into this match she hit one of the stiffest like mid-range kicks that I've seen like a back spinning mm. kick into the um, uh, kind of mid area of Iwatani and I was like okay I'm on board with this 
and I just the match got me from there and you know I don't have any connection to stardom and it's very difficult for me to kind of get invested in any kind of level um but this match just grabbed me from beginning to end and was um I I don't want to kind of compare to any of the like kind of mid 90s Japan uh, women's wrestling scene but uh just yeah just a very very uh, physical uh credible match and uh, I think the, the the best women's match I've seen this year so far yeah, um, my first one is going to be from uh, GCW's Ready to Die on the 4th of February. Uh, and that is your classic uh, big beefy fucker match. Uh, the Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson versus Yuji Okabayashi. Um, this was just, you hear those two men, the match you're picturing in your head is the match they had. Uh, some fabulous stuff uh, that I ended up give, going a 4.25 for um very much enjoyed that uh stiff affair between those two men my second recommendation from february the 9th ring of honor presented free enterprise their free to play free to watch wrestling show i guess um and it was the briscoes versus mexi blood uh which was i've been talking about bandido being one of the uh, you know low-key uh, contenders for wrestler of the year and um this is just another match where everything that i was saying about earlier in regards to wxw certainly applied here but also just for the briscoes who the briscoes have this issue at this point where it's very hard to pay that much attention or to get excited about them because they're predominantly in ring of honor and you know they have done everything that can be done in that promotion and yeah for for a number of reasons both their own fault and, and other aspects you know i don't think they're going anywhere else anytime soon and i'm sure they're being paid very well and they're comfortable where they are um but this was a real return to that energy and excitement that you got from the briscoes uh, on i want to say like their second kind of turn around in the kind of mid 2000s era of ring of honor um in just that that energy and electricity and the the moves and just yeah uh really really strong tag match and we've had a couple of very very good tag matches this year where i feel like tag team wrestling has been kind of on the back burner for the last couple of years and and i think um ring of honor have put a really good foot forward obviously AEW have the division they have fucking New Japan have put the belts on uh, Kota Ibushi and Tanahashi so they're at least you know attempting to give that division some credibility so you know tag team wrestling is uh is kind of back in a way yeah for sure um what's my next one now um yeah so we, we talked about um tag team wrestling being back um and I think it's a bit overly obvious to go with the tag team match from revolution but i'll go with another tag team match uh, from dynamite that i thought was like for a tv tag team match this was excellent on one of the first times where i was like oh this omega hangman combination is is money and that was uh kenny omega and hangman page versus pentagon jr and ray phoenix from the 19th of february uh, edition of dynamite this was earlier in the show uh, that had the Cody Rhodes Wardlow cage match. So you get two for one in terms of really good TV matches uh, if you watch that show. Uh, yeah, just it, it's kind of 
it was kind of, ah, oh, this is the Kenny Omega I missed, combined with, oh, there really is something to Hangman Page, and this team is is really for him. And I hope this slow burn with the two of them dissolving continues. I want to see many more tag team matches with the pair of them. And I'm kind of buying into the idea that rather than Hangman Page turning on the Elite, that it's the books turn on him, but in a way that doesn't make the books like heels in general, just heels within the context of this one specific feud. Um... Yeah, this this team is money, this feud is money, and this was a really good match. Cool. Uh, I will end on Moxley versus Suzuki from New Beginning in Osaka, just because mm-hmm. <laughs> the build for this match, more than anything else, was, was just incredible. Like, yeah. I think they had a couple of tag team matches, and like there was no attention being paid to the actual tag team match, because like just the two of them were brawling all around the ringside area. And where that can usually be... Um, detrimental to the match and takes away from who's in the ring it doesn't matter because it's fucking it's suzuki and uh and moxley and the match itself was just a crazy fucking brawl with these two just like just hit me as hard as you can and and suzuki at the end just like defiant to the bitter end after being just fucking destroyed is still smiling and grinning like an idiot uh, and takes the paradigm shift or the the death rider and uh, just, you know, whatever you thought that match would be, it managed to hit those expectations. And I will say, even though, like, Moxley in in uh, in AEW has been a home run for me, like, it, it's been very successful, I do think from an in-ring product kind of point of view, I think his New Japan stuff is leaps and bounds uh, ahead. Yeah, uh, I, I can't disagree with you there. Uh, my final match is going to be a homegrown one. It comes from OTT's Kings, Monsters, and Bastards from the 15th of February 2020. And it was David Starr versus Big Jeffrey Cobb. And I talked early in the show about how Jeff Cobb is the wrestler I'm most willing to kind of show that bit of aggression and kick on. And wrestling against David Starr was the perfect opportunity for that. Again, they're two guys coming on another theme from this show. They're two guys who are really good mates. And because of that, they fucking laid it in with each other. Jeff had a bloody nose by the end of it. And I think Star was bleeding as well. And the little bit of storyline that goes into it as well, where Star is our champion. He says everything he does is for us. And he refuses now to put the belt on the line against imports that are just coming in for a quick buck. So not only did he refuse to make this main event a title match against Jeff Cobb because he didn't think Jeff Cobb deserved it, he didn't even bring the belt into the building because Cobb didn't deserve to see it. And he spent the whole match riling up Cobb. And this was one of those matches where it was very reminiscent of the monster Matanza Cueto, where there were points at which he just pissed Cobb off enough that Cobb just fucking lashed him around the place. Um, And you also had, for the first time... um, the kind of the the storyline that has been brewing with these kind of this ring crew that david Starr seems to have brainwashed that for the first time they're starting to uh stop you know there was a bit on the outside of the ring where jeff cobb ran the whole way around the ring to hit star with a chop on the outside and by the time he got round to where star was the ring crew formed a human barrier to stop star from getting hurt um so you know there's good storyline progression great aggression really enjoyable main event title match even though the title wasn't on the line um yeah that was a good one and and hope ott um 
Right, yeah, that's going to do it for another grapple for this month. We'll be back, uh, depending on how much wrestling happens between now and the next show, we'll be back either, you know, at the start of next month or maybe we'll leave it till the middle of next month and until uh, we have enough to talk about. Uh, I'm going to be catching up. I have a huge recommendations tab on my sheet to talk about in the meantime, so I'm going to use this opportunity to catch up loads. Thanks for joining us again on the grab up from my, myself and Mark. At Link to the Cast on Twitter is where you need to follow to see when all these shows drop and where you can subscribe and the likes. Um, and individually, I'm at the day to Dave. Mark is at Lithium Project. Wish us luck as I go to hunt for Pepsi and Mark tries to assemble a PC without electrocuting himself. We'll see you in a month. Peace.